It is 6.30, Monday, September 21st, and we are live with Rusty Hooks Live, and this is episode number 28. Uh, is that I what I put so. down here? I think it is. 27, 28, somewhere in that range. 28. I just typed it. But anyways, uh, tonight we've got Mr. William Fraser back in studio with us. Uh, Fraser, thanks for coming and Thank you guys uh, for asking me. Coming back again. We'll try to keep it under two hours. Uh, yeah, well, we had some great discussions last time. Um, a lot of a lot of feedback, a lot of follow-ups with that. Um, just so you know, a, a lot of guys told us that that's the best one oh, we've heard. ever done. Thank you. Um, Thank you, guys. Uh, very informative, uh, very enjoyable, uh, so on and so on. So um, we want to thank you for that. To begin with, why are you not live? I am live. Oh, okay. Sorry. Why are you not live? I don't know. Okay. Back. A lot of follow-ups with that. Uh, Turn your volume. There we are. So okay. you can hear it. Um, but yeah, so here we are again. Um, you know, it's fall time of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Starting to cool down. Uh, as you can see, David's a big sissy. He's got a sweatshirt on. He ain't the only one. I just hadn't taken it off today. <laughs> Man, when I went fishing Saturday, I had on I had on um, base layer and Gore-Tex. I, I, I ain't in the cold. Well, mm -hmm. uh, and what I say, this is big boy weather. So I, as oh, okay. you can see, I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt because I I've got a lot a lot of uh, to heat to cool down. I understand. So, a lot, a lot more padding than you guys do. Oh, I'm, I'm. You're pretty padded. I'm pretty padded. Pretty padded, <laughs> and I'm pretty roasty right now, to be honest with you. But I'm here now. Um, but one of the big things that we got asked about, which I think, if you could get a bass angler to tell the truth every once in a while, is how tough the fall can be, um, specifically around water quality. Um, all right, you know, with the turnover. So we got a lot of questions about that. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that here in a little bit. Um, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to get going though. Um, we have some giveaways to to announce. This is our um, fifth week, so five our five weeks of giveaways for our thousand likes. I think we're up to well, we're a couple hundred past that now. So um, thanks for all our viewers. This has grown pretty quickly. Couldn't do it without you. Wouldn't still be here without you. So. Um, David, you, you pick a winner tonight? Chris Goodwin. Chris Goodwin. All right, so Chris, um, get in contact with the store. We got a bag for you. Um, it's got, we'll go through it one more time, it's got an AFCO card well, or Big Bites or, card. Yep. That's a 50% off card, right? 40 for Big Bites, 50 for AFCO. Okay. Uh, there's some Gamagatsu Aaron Martin treble hooks in there. Um, a couple spro baits some sunline which is fluorocarbon that's their sniper um i'm missing one big bites big bites has got some plastics Sample in there packs yep. and some heads and whatnot yeah so it's a great giveaway um all thanks to mr carl carson he usually tunes in yep um he'll be watching later tonight um so if you if you bump into him, you can thank him for the merchandise, and he's one of David's suppliers, but he, he was able to get all that together for us. Uh, we do have another giveaway going on. Uh, you have until, was it Thursday? 
Well, when's the uh, Oakley? Or I'm sorry, Oakley. That's the, how it ingrained in my mind. Is the big, shops. the big bass tournament. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it starts Friday. So yeah, Thursday so, so night. So you have till Thursday night to get in there, find our post, put your uh, your guest weight on there. Uh, that's a mystery giveaway right now. Uh, Shane's not here with us tonight. He's actually uh, somewhere in Michigan, I believe, um, filming Fishing University with uh, Ray Brazier and uh, uh, Charlie Ingram. Yep. So Shane has agreed with David um, that those two guys are going to put a prize pack together for you for um, for the closest weight. Uh, we do have a couple tournaments to cover. So we had a cat this this uh, we had two cat tournaments, one on Wiley this past week, which you fished, right? I, I attended. You attended, yeah, I all attended. right. Um, and we had one on Norman. So were they both opens? I know the one no. on Norman was open. No, Wiley was not open. Okay. They so had they had an open on Saturday and the actual cat event on Sunday that was not an open. So there was one on Saturday and Sunday? Yes, that's correct. Okay, did you fish both of them? No, Norman. Oh, Wiley Norman. was just Saturday. Okay. I'm sorry, I missed that. No, one. I, I work. I've, I've got a project I'm trying to get done before I can focus on fishing again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, didn't take a whole lot of weight. Um, I don't know what it took Sunday on Norman. Twelve something. I Twelve think something. It was, yeah. Okay, so I know here on Wiley, you said it took thirteen twenty nine. Uh, Glenn Sparrow won that. Did he fish by himself? Chris Baumgartner was with him. Okay, so Glenn and Chris. So in other words, Chris Baumgartner won, and Glenn was net boy. I understand. Um, <laughs> No, I can't say that. Glenn's a good fisherman, too. Yeah. Um, and then Norman, uh, Jason Wilson from the Great Outdoors won. He had 12 and change, and uh, Chris Williams was his co-angler. Uh, do you know what it took to win on Sunday up at Norman? I didn't know that was going on. Sun, that was Sunday. Oh, that was Saturday. Saturday was 12-something. Uh, so about 12 pounds. With a big fish of 5-something. Shane, Shane, our... Uh, third in charge here finished second with 12 something as well i don't remember the exact numbers i got you i didn't know he fished i thought he was already in michigan no he did not he his trip got changed he flew out this morning oh all right he tried to call me into playing golf instead of laying tile so <laughs> there you go so we got a lot of things coming up so next weekend the cbc's on high rock um, that's the last North Carolina qualifier to get you into the championship, which is in October. Did, uh, did they post the date on that? Yes, it's the 23rd and 24th on Lake Norman. Ugh. Okay. Um, that'll be a two-day event, $50,000 first place. Um, and then the ABA two-day will be on Wiley uh, this weekend coming up. Is that a Buster Boyd? I don't know the answer. I don't to that know the one. answer to that one either. Um, then the big bass is coming to Norman. Um, that's a three-day deal: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All right. Um, can't really blast off from anywhere because you can go wherever you want, take off wherever you want. You just got to be on your spot, and they give you text lines. And I've never fished one. I've heard they're a lot of fun. So they're they're interesting. It's a different it's a different mentality. And then uh, the last thing we need to talk about is the I guess the Bass Open starts this week on Lake Hartwell. So, with mm. the cool weather, I would think those fish are probably starting to school down there. I would say that some of the backwater stuff could get you well yeah. in a hurry down there. That place can be fun. I'm either feast or famine there. I either catch spots you have to glue together to uh, to make keepers or 
catch one big largemouth and make your. <laughs> oh, I mean, we the problem is, is we went from summer to straight up fall. Like, there's not been a transition. It went from 95 degrees to mid 70s. There's not really been a taper down. Um, it's supposed, supposed to be 40 tomorrow morning. Look, well, looking at the weather, we're look, the next 14 days. It's kind of status quo. I think Don't. this weekend it warms up to 78. Don't worry. When the rain comes through? This happens every year, and we always forget. We get two weeks of cold weather, and everybody thinks fall's here, oh, winter's yeah. coming. 95 and again. And then all of a sudden it's back 95 for the whole month of November. Listen, all I'm, all I'm doing is sitting here waiting, hoping that it stays tapering just like it is. I like it when it gets just, cold. You know what happens when it stays on a steady downhill track. Yeah. For some like reason, Wiley cold. goes from sucking real bad to being real great again. I don't know where those fish go in between. Hopefully they'll show up again this winter because it's it's been pretty abysmal out there this year. Well, so all right, so that was all our housekeeping. Uh, Chris, come get your prize pack. Call I want to get William Fraser's take on Hartwell. I'd be interested to hear what what you think about that. It's in South Carolina. <laughs> well, I try very hard not to talk across borders because I've spent years making friends. I will say that I have worked. I've worked in an open and a nation championship, and I think one other tournament down there. And that's why I kind of snickered when he said what he did about gluing them together to get a limit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to step on the spot, people, again, and that I don't want to do that. It just. Hartwell is an exceptionally good example of what happens at spot overrun. But there's also a lot of other lakes out there. There's same million in other states. Um, and I guess that's why our vision of it is we, we get to see a little bit bigger picture than the local lake guys. It's like Shane and like right now the spots are great. They're awesome. Right. But give them 10 years and it's a different animal. Um, that's why we're trying to kind of get ahead of the curve and see if there's anything we can do, but we just don't hunt. Sure. Well, while we're talking about that, you know, something that North Carolina had, or South Carolina that's pretty prevalent in those lakes we're talking about are herring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we understand that our lakes around here are, are infertile, right? Um, well, on the Catawba chain anyways. I don't want to talk the Yadkins different, and then I'm not even sure what Jordan and all those lakes are on, what chain that is. Um, I can try to explain it, but... Well, I was going to ask. So, oh, okay. So, Threadfins and Gizzard Shad, to my understanding, when, when Gizzard Shad, when they're little, they get bigger, their they're forage changes, but um, they're filter feeders, right? They're foragers, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, are herring foragers, or do they eat? Uh, it is my understanding, just from colloquialism and listening to the guys one way or the other, they they are a little bit more open about what they eat. Um, they will eat into other things besides just plankton. Okay. Know, they're not green grass foragers like cows. Really. And there's... You know, there's always the talk about they'll get into nests and eat eggs or anything else. I just, I really don't know. Gotcha. Um, the thing that I can tell you about them is, is the difference in behavior. And this is what we've seen in, over and over and over again. 
One is more of a pelagic fish, and they will draw the bass away from the shore, which they really want to be. And what you typically see in those situations is, is you, you'll see good-sized largemouth, but they don't tend to be those Jordan-type largemouth. Big, short, fat ones. Yeah, they look like footballs. Yeah, they um, look like a pelagic, long, skinny fish, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they're always on the move. Yeah. And the difference between the river systems is, is that Catawba, Yadkin chain are big systems, real big systems. Jordan, for example, <clears throat> one of the things they're fighting there is the nutrients, but it, it has to do with why and where it's at. There's two branches to Lake Jordan, and it's like two totally different lakes. There's the Hall River branch that starts up Reedsville, North Greensboro area, okay, and it drags a bunch of stuff. It's more like a river system lake. It's not as big as Catawba or Yadkin, but it is still more similar to that. It, in terms of trying to give you a number, if you took a bucket of water and you traced it all the way from the where the Yad, where um, the Hall enters Jordan Lake to the dam, it's a flow period of about fifty days. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, that would be, and it's not generating power, and that's another major issue with the difference between the other two the other two river chain lakes. But on the New Hope side, if you took that same bucket and traced the water from, say, like New Hope Creek, which is one of the major feeds up there to the dam, it's 500 days. So you're talking about the difference between one fishing like a river and one fishing like a swamp. Right. You know? So there's very real differences in why the lakes are like they are. I got you. And and that's something that we can get into with the thermoclines and the turnover as well because they're a little bit more stagnant if you want to use that word right same thing with Harris um, bass are called pigs for a reason <laughs> 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 you know they're not trout <laughs> right so on the herring subject though do you think her- in, in your opinion now right, I won't hold you to anything do you think herring would survive in our lakes up here no. better I mean would they with what I've listened to you guys or? talk about with the flow and everything, I mean, they're, they probably would, but what they would do in terms of productivity is something totally different. Gotcha. You know, um, pull fish off the bank. Well, he doesn't care about that. Or even if you pull them off the bank. <laughs> yeah, here's, the, here's the problem. We already fight that battle a little bit. You know, uh, what was it, five, six, seven years ago? Yeah, I'll, I'll there was a big. There was, we don't have herring; we have alewives. Again, I agree, but there are. I think if you were to able able to pull every piece of bait out of here, you would find X amount of herring. I'm sure. And but again, alewives and herring, even though they look very similar, they, they act different. completely different. And so, if you want to go catch schooling fish, which Wiley used to be known for this time of year, you could go run to just about any one of the main lake flats and they would come up schooling. If you sat there for 10, 15 minutes, you'd see them running up and down the flat and it was all thread fin at the time. Mm-hmm. Now that the alewives are there, they don't run up on the flats. They might chase them up for a second and then they're down as deep as they can get away from the fish. I've actually got a, a pretty good visual of that in my PowerPoint that we can look at. Okay. Um, and. And explain exactly what you're saying because, like you said, they do behave differently, uh, and it's one of the things that I learned in doing this. So, it's, yeah, it's 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 a different critter, but again, I hate to be a purist. That's why I'm, I've kind of lined up with the national organization and BAS is 
nation platform for conservation and the wildlife people to try to keep everything as natural as we can. If if we get to the point and say, yeah, bait's an issue, put bait that belongs here and not, you know, uh, stuff that Again, so. revert back to the Norman discussion. Bait's an issue there. Right. question is, what bait do you put in? And And then, okay, not to beat a dead horse, but the money that's attempting to be raised and things that are attempting to be done, is that the best way to fund or is that the best project to fund at this point well the, the answer that i'm getting because i actually cory called me the last part of last week once they i it had gotten out that it had been approved and then he and i had a little bit more in-depth conversation since i'm having this conversation with conservation directors and wildlife people all over the united states it's an experiment so that's a that's a fair assessment and and that and that's what it I mean, that's what it should be deemed as. Sure. I mean, again, well, I think anything that it's not native, right? Like you were saying, Fraser, and you put it in an invasive water. Yeah. It's going to be an experiment, right? Sure, but the, the Floridas are not non-native. Floridas are native. That's right. I remember you telling us that last time. North you know, Carolina, but the, but the trick behind it is, and I think that's what's driving this, places like Smith Mountain, yep. uh, certainly the Tennessee. Blood. They've done really well in, right? You, if you boost that population, then you run the very real possibility, even in weak systems, of getting an uptick in a very positive way. Sure. You know, and, and, I, and, and that's what Corey said. That's what I believe in. I've talked to Gene Gilliland about it. <laughs> he sat through all two hours of the, of the last podcast and sent me back a nice write-up because I asked his opinion. And what he thought of and everything else. He said it was too long. It was too long. But, <laughs> but you know, he, he had good pointers. Gene's a very reputable fisheries biologist. And okay. it just so happened that he was at Hal Shrams this past week. So they had a chance to talk about it. I mean, these are the people that have been leading for years and years and years. So, you know, it, it's, it is an experiment. There's no other way to phrase it. But it's got a good chance of showing an uptick. And I think that that's what everybody wants to see, is those bigger, better quality, yep. more aggressive fish. And even in Norman, where we know that it's kind of hurting for nutrients and other bio-based things that it needs, it's better to get one tater out of the plot than nothing. That's right. So We um, just want to catch fish, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah, that's what it yeah, boils yeah. Down I think to. that's what it boils down to. I'm, my concern is the part about habitat. And I have actually gotten a copy of what Duke has approved now, and it's going to be a little problematic, but that's okay. We're, it's not just a, we're going to dump fish in and that's what's going to happen. No, it's going to be fish, it's going to be habitat, it's going to be dealing with all the other different things going on with it. And that's the thing I want to make sure everybody hears. It's not a single solution. <coughs> so where do we, so, so where can where myself can, yeah. or viewers go view what Duke has approved as far as habitat? Because that would be interesting to see what they've approved. Oh, I'll send it to you. I'd, I'd love to see yeah, it. Yeah, it's a PDF. Yeah. I thought I had sent did it you, to you today. Well, they did a, you sent me a grass study. No, 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 no. Today, I, I sent it out today, and I sure thought I had sent it to you on on private messenger. Let me just see if I missed it. If I didn't, it's it's my mistake. Oh. Deploying my fish tractors. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I thought I had sent it to you. Interesting. <laughs> well, I was sidetracked, so okay. I looked at it, and I didn't open it. <laughs> 
I'm sure you don't have anything else to do today. No, not a, not at all. <laughs> so, um, so while Dave is reading that, um, let's talk about the turnover. All okay. Because right? we're we've given everybody about twenty minutes to get on here. Okay. Um, finishing up dinner time and stuff. So, uh, so before we get into the scientific data mm-hmm. that we're going to show, how about uh, you give us a layman's definition of the turnover? Because I know it has to do with the thermocline, right? Sure. Because sure. Um, I I think I know what it is, but I would like to hear. I learned a lot last week or last time you were here. So before I open my mouth. I would like to hear the real answer of what it is. Okay. Hey, guys, thank you all very much for watching the nice feedback we got last time. And I promise you, one of the biggest, biggest criticisms I receive in my life, as a matter of fact, some of the guys commented on it that actually watched it, were poking fun at me about the big words. If I get over two syllables, just <laughs> there needs to be a buzzer or something. I'm we'll sorry. watch the comments. Okay. All right. Before you can have turnover, you got to have stratification. And there's driving things that make that happen. And the easiest way to explain it is like I did last time, like a glass of tea that sits out and you end up with a clear layer on top, and it just layers out. It's that simple. Okay, what drives that? All right? The first thing is the same thing that causes the ice to melt, temperature. All right? When the temperature gets to a certain point in the springtime, the lake starts to build into layers. And that's called and that's stratification. That's stratification. Okay. And then there is a misconception about thermocline. It's actually three layers. And if you've ever looked at like a bottle of Italian dressing before you've shaken it up, and I've actually got one in the trunk I forgot to bring in so I could do the visual on it. But anyway, it separates into three three layers. There's a clear oil layer on top. And there's one that's got kind of chunks and some water and stuff like that. And then all the chunks sit all on the bottom. On the bottom. That's the explanation of the thermocline right there. Okay. Okay. It's that simple. It does the same thing in a lake. It's just not as chunky. All right. So what's turnover? You shake the bottle up. Okay. What shakes the bottle up? Temperature. Once the temperature gets up to about 65 to 70 degrees, depending on how fast it warms up, the lake separates into layers. Once it goes below those temperatures, the thermocline goes away, right? The thermocline goes away. That's what you call turnover. Okay. No more, no less. All right. And then all that chunky stuff in the bottom, that's all the organic material that from from stuff that's died all summer long or just nasty, nasty stuff, right? That's the best way to do it. And and I use this analogy and the limnologists all start looking for sharp objects when I do, but basically what we fail to understand is that those lakes are not natural features. When they put that dam on that river, they've created a reservoir, which is an unnatural feature, and there are not natural features like in natural lakes, like the Great Lakes and Waccamaw and so forth, to cycle the water and keep it clean in a natural way. So basically, when you dam it up, what you've just done is created an open-top septic tank, and it's going to collect and deposit every piece of junk that flows into it. Obviously, the stuff on the bottom is going to be the worst. You, you've been in mucky bottoms, and you know fish don't like them. They'd nope. rather have sandy, gravelly-type bottoms. You Can't know? breathe. There's too much stuff floating around. Right, it's, it, and it's the same, it, it is the same exact principle is really, really what it boils down to. But then when it turns over, it's like your septic tank running over. And everything gets mixed, and those layers down at the bottom mixed with the ones on top. I've got 
some really good graphs showing that happen. I've got a series I did a couple of years ago for a lake management conference where it happened on and off for about a week. It was stratifying the daytime, temperature go down at night, about turn over at night. And I mean, you could actually see what was going on with the DO and everything. And it's, I've, I've got some visuals I, I, I want to use because I want to show guys just exactly how extreme this can be. So when we, before we get into the science mm-hmm. of it, so a lot of our listeners tune in to hear not only about fish conservation, like we've been talking about, stocking programs, things like that, and, and learning, but they also want to know how to catch fish. Sure. Right? So uh, I hope to help with that. So the only thing that I can tell you about the turnover is I, I knew the definition of it, what you're talking about. Basically, the thermocline goes away, and the temperature is so similar that basically it can mix. It's like someone hits That's a blender, correct. and they just blended it yeah, all up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, all right, but let me ask you this, because you're, you're getting a pretty good little grasp on it. All right, you realize from what I said last time that when the lake is stratified, there's oxygen in the upper layers, and then there's kind of a middle transition layer where there's not as much oxygen, but some fish that prefer to be temperature-oriented, like stripers and things yep. like that, can get in there for a while. That's right. Okay, and then the bottom layer, there ain't nothing. That's right. Okay, it's, it, ought to, it might as well be concrete, right? That's correct. Okay, so when it mixes, what do you think happens to the DO? Uh, it goes down. Bing, there you go. And everybody says, wow, the lake turned over, you can't catch fish. Well, if somebody put a, a hefty trash bag around your head and duct taped it on, you wouldn't really feel like eating that cheeseburger, you and, know, and that's and pretty DO, much the deal. DO stands for dissolved, dissolved oxygen. Oxygen. I'm sorry, I'm right? sorry, guys. I'm sorry. So, uh, so what I do when I see turnover water, and it, it it's uh, here you go, right on par. So, Jerry Craig, what does the water look like? So, to me, when I see it, it just it looks off-colored. Like, you can look, like, if wherever you came from, the water could be clear or muddy or whatever. When you get to a portion where the water has turned over, it's got, like, a frothy foam on it sometimes and almost like an off-colored brown to it is, is way. It just it looks off. Kind of like the whole main channel from the bridge down just below the lighthouse looked on Wiley this weekend. It yeah. wasn't mud. It just had the uh, brown, frothy, tannic turnover look. looking. Yeah. And I will tell you this, too. If the wind is blowing and it's blown in a specific direction for a long time, it will blow that turnover water to whatever side of the bank it's hitting on is what I sure. have seen. Yeah, it'll do that. So the only way that I know how to fish out of the turnover is first of all run away from it, and second of all, uh, the dissolved oxygen content. The fish can't breathe; they can't live. They're not going to eat. Um, is is to go shallow because boat traffic, wind, whatever you want to call it. The turnover, well, turnover is a bad word there. Um, the constant undulation, I guess you'd call it, of waves or just surface agitation. He used that big word, not me, okay? Undulation. Uh, surface agitation um, puts oxygen back into water, right? Some, but it is not anywhere near as much as most people think. Okay. Now, in saying that, then the limnologists are now looking for their sharp object again. Yes, on the Great Lakes, on the ocean, large bodies of water, on our thin, narrow channel lakes and things like that, no. Not unless you've got something, you know, where you've got 20, 30-mile-an-hour winds. So, yeah. It's, well, it's like Wiley this weekend. It was weird. So, we fished from the bridge, worked our way south. Got down to Clearwater, stopped getting bit. 
came right back up into the tannic looking water where the wind was blowing 25 miles an hour and fished in the wind and got bit yes but that but okay so we we've talked about temperature right so the water temperature was what 78 it was pretty 80? snow it's actually just a lot cooler than that 76 okay now you run into the creeks i found 74 in the back one you know half three quarters of the way back in a creek so what is if i put my boat in the water and i'm worried about turnover is there a magic temperature threshold that i need to worry about 65 to 72 65 to 72 and it, again it's how fast does it cool down like what we just saw happen with the temperature going from 80s 90s to 40s <laughs> overnight yeah. you know it it will turn over at a higher temperature okay particularly if there's there's wind action and also if they're generating power or they're pushing water through here. Right, it's going to help. What, what you just ways. said is key. Those main channels are going to be less susceptible to turnover and to stratification, even though it does happen, than it will be back in a creek. I mean, it's the same thing like if you have a big rainfall and all of a sudden you see this big mud flush come down the river. But you know that you can see how far back into the creek it's penetrated. The, the thermocline does the same thing. Same thing. The less disturbed it is, the more thermocline sets up. Places like Jordan, where, you know, the explanation that you've got, it takes 500 days for a bucket of water to get from the top of the New Hope branch to the dam, the thermocline is strong, you know, in some yeah. of the city lakes where we're not generating power or anything like that, it's crazy strong. I mean, it's it's pretty stark, and, but it's also a lot easier before turnover to pattern the fish. When turnover does occur, it's much more difficult. Okay. Jughead. Shane's on here. I don't think you're not Jughead. I don't know if that's you or I me. Don't, I'm not sure who he's referring to. Uh-oh. That's nah, just Shane. That's just Shane. Okay. <laughs> hey, Shane. <laughs> he you, must bud. have landed. Oh, yeah. he's He's been landed. Yeah. He's probably playing golf class on his phone right now. Spades. Spades? It's probably spades. I think so. You better be working on making sure he wins the champion cup or whatever they're going to call it on Fishing University at this time. Mm. They always fish for something. I know. Oh, boy. All right. So, 65 to 72. Mm-hmm. All right. So, let's get into some of this data now. Okay. If, if, if that's all right. Sure. Um, Let's back into it to something that is easy to digest first. Let's look at the depth finder All right, screenshots. The depth finder screenshots. All right, you guys bear with me just a second here. We're going to have to switch to a PowerPoint. Let's see if it works. Yeah, just start with depth and we're fine. Uh, let me get us in slideshow here. All right. Dave, let me know when it changes. Press. So here's top. here's depth. Um, okay. All right. This is a screenshot of what most guys are going to say. Oh, hey, there's the thermocline, and they're right. I'd be complaining because my sensitivity is too high. That is out of the box. I hadn't touched a button. Okay. Okay, but that's also in Randleman Lake, where the water is not moved for power generation. It's just a very small amount taken out for water supply. So this is what I'm talking about, an extreme example of where you can see it very, very well. Okay, that's the bottom thermocline. Okay, how do I know? 
all right, because it's solid as a rock. That's the bottom part of that, that Italian dressing bottle where it's, it's thick, all right? Now, I'm going to answer another question that we skimmed across, and you say, okay, well, how can you tell it happened? The, the best way to tell when that thermocline turns over is if you're in a situation where you see that thick of a bottom thermocline, if it smells like rotten eggs, you've had turnover. Okay. Because if you went down there and got a sample of this water, it, it's horrible. And when you mean the bottom, you're talking about literally, I wish I could, everybody can just see the, uh, uh-oh, what's going on here? All right. I might have to keep it in this view because it went to depth. Um, I can. St I'm still walking. All right. So when you're talking about the bottom, it'll it'll update here in a second. Um, there's there's remember there's three layers going on. Yep. Okay. That bottom layer where nothing can live. I don't care what those little blips on there say where that blue streaky stuff is. They're false signals. Okay. Or either there's something on the outside of the cone. Okay. Which is keep going. All right. I'm just zooming in. Now, how do I know where the upper layer is? All right. Remember we talked about there's certain fish that are going to orient to temperature over oxygen. Yep. This is open water. This is right at the 220 bridge over random. The yellow the is yellow that bar middle right layer. Okay. That's those fish that are holding. And you see most you of the can, fish you see in there are holding in that middle layer in open water. Yep. Those you are pelagic-type fish. You can see a couple right here, right below the line. Too, That's right. right. They're sitting right on it. Yep. Okay, those are probably big catfish or something like that. Or striper that are too dumb to know not to breathe. Potentially. Shane would say. <laughs> they're, they're that bad. I mean, one of the most, the, the most notorious in the lake I know for that is Baden because it's got a section where it is very stagnant. It's got a section where the water runs pretty hard. The fish get confused. They get below their own place. They turn it over. They're dead before they even know what happens. So, yeah, you're They just right. kind of go to sleep, right? I've seen them floating before down at the yeah. dam at Lake Norman back when there was a bunch of them. Now there's hardly, they put, well, they put hybrids in there. Yeah. Not to get in on another subject, but. But the white part up there at the top is the part where you would expect to find bass. Mm -hmm. Okay, because that's going to be dissolved oxygen levels above a certain, they're, toxic threshold all right so that is an extreme instance let's look at the second slide and i'll explain where we're going with all right that. so before we get any further okay, sure. all right so here's sure. going to be my scientific questions right i'm, right. I'm on a i'm on a learning fact-finding mission myself okay so this bar that you highlighted in yellow is that just a uh just a focus on that area or is there like a specific um like the scientific test that you could fact check me on that is remember when you were a kid you jumped off the boat you went down a certain yep. and all of a sudden your feet got cold that yellow bar is where your feet got cold okay but you were saying to target for the bass is the, actually the white above it correct that's so that's where the dissolved oxygen is going to be the best it's also yes. where the water temperature is going to be the hottest too right yes it is but it's also now you're looking at a third factor that's coming in that the sun can't penetrate yep. past a certain point so that also contributes to the dissolved oxygen being missing in the yellow band Okay. Where it's higher in the upper band. I mean, there's something called supersaturation where you can have 100, 120% oxygen in that upper layer because the sun's making the algae grow, which is producing oxygen. It's okay. just chlorophyll. I mean, it's just that simple. All right, so this next graph picture. Mm -hmm. This is much shallower. You're looking at 10 feet. Well, now all of a sudden you don't have that hard object in there showing you where that bottom layer on the thermocline is. 
Well, it's not 60 feet deep either. Right. So it doesn't have the opportunity to set up. But can you have a, a thermocline in shallow water? And your answer is yes. Can you see it? Not the same way you can in that deeper water with just, like I said, out-of-the-box type stuff. Here, and Shane said this the last time I was down here, the fish tell you where it is. They, This is a Christmas tree. Laying yeah, on the bottom, side. right here? Yep, that's a Christmas tree. Those fish know that Christmas tree is there, and they want to be in the cover on the structure. Okay, That actually is a sunken roadbed, and it's sitting right on the rise off that roadbed. So that's the roadbed right the there. That's the roadbed, right? So to break this down for your electronics guys, so this is a, I don't know anything about your setup, but but this is a Lawrence graph. Mm -hmm. This is on pallet one. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see. Right out of the box. So on pallet one, uh, the yellow band here is a hard return. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and contrary to lots of beliefs, um, we can get into this in depth later on. I can do an electronic session for you guys if you want, but um, the wider this yellow band is, the softer the bottom is, or the softer the whatever your cone is hitting. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when Fraser said there's a road bed right here, I saw it before you said it because you can see how the band gets a lot thinner from here to here, mm -hmm. and then it gets wider again. So right. I wish I, they could see my hands, but literally from here to here is your road bed. And whoever sank that Christmas tree did a daggone good job of. Mm -hmm. um, hitting their spot because I'm terrible at sinking brush. <laughs> did you sink this one? I plead the fit. Okay. No, uh, I did not, but I did find it. Okay. I mean, I, I know to go looking for it. I know people are going to put stuff out there. Yep. I have absolutely no problem pirating somebody's structure. Or right. <laughs> well, I believe we all do. We'll hey, find, if you find, find it, it's fair. It's, That's right. It's, it's, right. it's like leftovers in the refrigerator. If you put them in there, they're fair game. I'll never forget, <laughs> I'll never forget uh, sinking some maple trees standing straight up i found those pretty quick and uh it didn't take it didn't take you long to find them but you uh you're one of only three that i know of that have even looked there for them i don't know where they are i know i've known where they are for a long time but you just saw me fishing one time here I recently i had to i had to call you out on it the interesting part about that right there is is that the fish know that's there and they're trying to get down on it right and but they can't because of the oxygen right right so they're telling you pretty much where they're at with that red dotted line. Is that, like, could I put an instrument in there and measure and say that's exactly where it's at? No, because in that two-layer thermocline in shallower water, it's a more transitional issue. It's not as hard as that three-layer stratification we saw on the slide before. Gotcha. So. And I don't know if they can read your notes down here, but it says uh, even with weak objects on the bottom below the oxygen climb, thermocline, they, as a fish, they still want to gravitate and hold on to it, but they can't without suffocating. Right. So that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing some fish break out of the school and just they're programmed to go to something to hold on. And I guess they're pretty much holding their breath, right? And then they realize they got to go back up to where they can actually breathe. So this is a great depiction. And uh, I know you've seen this before mm -hmm. out here. Um, I have as well. I like but typically the water temperature is about half that <laughs> <laughs> I like you want to watch them about half that yeah, and it no, looks it, like that now if I saw that I wouldn't even have cracked the the big motor I would have just kept on letting it rip <laughs> well and, you know what again again you're right water temperature half that that's game on right now bye 
So Shane, just ask that. What technique would you use to try and catch those fish? So me would be. I wouldn't. I'd keep going. I was to say mine would be uh, called a hot foot. Yeah, there to you the go. floor. Yeah, with that water temperature, you might Can be we... able to put something in front. Yeah, you want to go back one or? Let's go all the way back up the top. All the way to the top. Yeah, because I'll explain exactly where we're trying to get to with that. All right. We're okay. Start with the, the first slide. Right there. All right. This, Shane, forgive me. Because I know you and the elites are not going to be happy about me telling this. We talked about it topically last time, and I, I made myself a promise I would show these four slides because well, Shane's not here. I know, but he knows how to find me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, this you hear a lot about guys that pull up on a spot and they say, "Oh yeah, I can catch fish there." All right, I know that the water temperature over there on the left is 68 degrees. Okay, so we're right somewhere with or without a thermocline. It's right there yeah. at that breaking point. That's right. I did that on purpose. As you said, 65 to 72. I'm going to keep right. repeating that so I remember yeah, it. That's fine. All right, but here you go. If you pull up on a spot, and, and everybody that's ever watched, like any undersea video, has seen these crazy things where you've got these giant sharks, and everybody's swimming around happy, the bait's swimming around, and the stuff that eats the bait, and the things that the sharks eat and everything. And everybody's happy, and nobody knows nothing. And it's just kind of everybody wandering around. When you see flat bait, that's happy bait. Okay? Me, I'm not going to waste my time with it. Shane, some of these other guys, I'm a weekend fisherman. I ain't got time to mess with it. Okay? Next slide. It's all bunched up. It's all bunched up. And you see these shadows that are coming at it. And that's exactly, that's the whole school mentality of bait. This, I'm going to think through it. I'm going to slow down for a minute and maybe look around and see if there's something where those fish are being herded to back them up against something. Next slide. That's enough about wintertime fishing. We'll just shut this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cat scratches. Signing out now, boys. Cat scratches. If you see cat scratches and you're not catching something, it's either the wrong bait or the wrong game fish. <laughs> or you just suck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I, so, right, I, and, so people and, will send me this picture. Uh, I could go through my Facebook Messenger and show you a, a hundred direct messages with this exact picture and they want to ask they, they always ask me why is there not a defined arc on this moving too fast that's exactly right so you can see right here the this is where it came into the cone and this is where it went out of the cone which is why it's diagonal and that's why it's diagonal yeah. because and there's, there's a lot they of hit just a, those fish are moving and they are moving very fast okay. and, and they're getting their bellies fat that's and right. happy right next one all right, this is the one that, that most of the guys really want to get a little advanced and try to pick through. Obviously, the, the game fish has split them into a couple of different schools. Which one's the bigger fish? I don't know. You don't know. Not from looking at that picture. But when they're out there and they're digging through those schools, typically they're going to gravitate. Smaller fish in one, bigger fish in the other. Okay, and that's kind of the way it's going to work. Next one. And this is the one you asked me about with the alewives. And this these are just taken seconds apart you can look at the times and, and see how they do some of them are a little spaced out because i had to get the sequence that i wanted but the bottom line is is now all of a sudden you got these two humps on the bottom that weren't there all right what that is is those open water pelagic bait fish and they glue to the bottom they've gone straight to the bottom and they're risking suffocating versus getting eaten which suffocating they might have a shot if the game fish go on and move somewhere else but suffocating they might can hold their breath for a while you know, and that's then you add the thermocline, and this becomes a very predictable pattern. Um, in this case, the next slide after the guy went away, 
I went and saw what it was. The fish, I, I wouldn't fish in open water like that. I don't know how to fish in open water like that. But what I did was I found what the what the game fish were pushing the bait up against, and it turned out to be a road bed. Yeah. A sharp drop of the road bed. So they weren't just in open water darting through them. Uh, Changed your palate, too. Well, it's the, the 455. I got you. Yeah, I had them both run at the same time to show both things. Yeah, so this is down imaging for our viewers, right. and this is your 2D graph. I'm saying this is... So that's actually pallet 13 on Lawrence 2D, and that, that one right there is still pallet number one. Right. So those are the two. I get asked all the time what pallets do you run. Those are the two that I would suggest. Right. We can go off on another tangent for that. but. Well, the, the, the one thing I want guys to, to realize is, especially the guys that don't have a lot of experience using equipment and finding fish and everything else, is I went to a lot of trouble to make sure that I put these in the 8120 um, views so that even with the least expensive depth finder from any manufacturer, it's yep. going to give you the same information. You don't, I mean, it, certainly all of the other wells and whistles and gadgets you got are awesome. They're there for a reason and they're, they're usable information. But if you don't have them, you can still compete uh, just by knowing that little bit of information. So let's go back I'm gonna to this. I'm going to just, I'm going to put you on notice right now. Yeah. No more about fishing, more about thermocline because okay. uh, what, <laughs> what, I mean, really, truly, I'll, I'll get, I'll let the cat out of the bag. What you just went over is really and truly how you pinpoint offshore fish. The depths just change a little bit. They do the exact same thing. Yep. It's a matter of timing and knowing when those fish are out feeding on bait or up feeding on bait or when they're glued to whatever structure they're pushing the bait across so let's let's talk through this one more time so david's angry with me i'm not angry <laughs> uh, no no it's just is i knew this, this i knew when great... i got into this that there were going to be things that i'd like to thought that i figured out that you know we're sharing with the mass pub public <laughs> the thing about it is and this you know and i tell people this all the time i could go fishing with you front of the back of the boat wouldn't matter and I might or might not be able to catch your fish your way I brought you a gift this evening where I know that I can go there and do that with those baits and I'm gonna walk away with a big bag that one was right at 20 pounds okay but that's me doing it my way so I don't mind telling people something and then the other thing is something that you kind of skipped across and that's timing it, I did. I I just I didn't stutter over. I just skipped I across. I know. I mean, I can go back to that same spot twenty times in a day, and the fish won't bite. You know, and, and that's what guys don't understand about going from beating the bank to you know doing a little bit more. Well, and the, and the key to figuring out the timing, you know, this is time on the water. Right. Okay. Every year it's different. The big bags I've caught out deep on Wiley have come at all different portions of the day, but it's. After a period of time that I know this group of fish is going to feed at this time, you go there two hours before, and they might be a completely different size. Right, exactly. And it's just a matter of spending the time to know what to look for, when to look for it, and when to be there. Right. And it's different every lake. It varies on a day-to-day -day basis in a lot of different ways. It depends on how they're running water. We talked to that when we were offline. So there's a lot of different variables that aren't there. But 
you know, I don't mind giving the guys. So, so we have a question, and I, I think it's more about what Duke does with the lakes as opposed to making it uh, better fishing for the reservoirs. But uh, we have you're here asking, why doesn't Lake Norman Mountain Island and Wiley run more water more often, like the Tennessee River, to maybe help with turnover? So, it, is it is it true that our lakes they don't have to run water through the dams to make power anymore? I can answer some of this. Some of those, some yes, some yes. If it's if well, I mean, it's just it's simple whether it's it's hydroelectric or not. I mean, if it's nuke or if it's steam. They don't necessarily have to run water through the dam. Right. They pump it in one place and then pump it out back into the lake, right? Well, to so, a holding pond, yeah. Yeah, so the dams are pretty much for hydroelectric, hydroelectric. or level control. But again, right. the EPA directs a lot of how Duke has to pull at Wiley. Okay, they have to pull, have X amount of flow for, yeah. for water quality, for... Now they've started this thing with the recreational use for the water below the dam. They have to pull X amount of water for kayakers and tubers and whatnot. And on now, the they weekends. Got a, now they have a big project. They're putting aerators in everywhere. They, right? Now, now I, yeah, they're talking about aerators. They're putting in a bladder system at Watery Dam to try to help control the big inflows on the floods in the spring mm-hmm. so that they don't get sued time and time again to replace docks for homeowners down there. Um and so there's there's a lot of uh circumstances that they can't i mean there's there's no we don't have the water to just send down the line right once it's gone you can't get it back not in general no is there anything else you want to cover here i don't don't think so i think we've irritated some people enough all right Let me get to... Uh... But it's it's all part and parcel of that thermocline. Like, the, the flatfish that we saw, all that's happening above the thermocline. Period. So, kind of is what it is. Alright? This is a little more technical, guys. I'm, I'm sorry we're going to have to make some guys glaze over here a little bit. But there's... <laughs> There's, there's some reasons I want to show you this. I'll watch the viewers for you and make sure we're not losing them too fast. <laughs> okay. All right. Just tell me if we are because this is, this is pretty neat stuff. You've seen these floating platforms like in tail races and out in the lake, and they say stay away from it. They're making scientific measurements or anything else. We were one of the people that pioneered those instruments, and I've got one at both of the intakes of the two lakes that, that we're responsible for managing, and I'm responsible for keeping this equipment up. All right? So... What's going on in the lake is not stratified, and what's going on with it when it is stratified? There's a couple of pieces of information here I want to show you because it's going to explain some things that a lot of guys know but don't know necessarily why. All right? This is a graph of the dissolved oxygen concentration versus depth with the lake unstratified. Microsoft and their infinite wisdom is self-scaling. And those lines technically are very parallel. If you look at the the lowest amount of dissolved oxygen, it's 9.22. If you look at the highest amount, it's 9.92. But in general, most of it is up between about 9.6 and 9.9. All right. So there's three-tenths of a milligram per liter oxygen difference across the day. What's the difference? All right. Well, the green line is noon. It's the highest and most consistent. Why noon? Sun's directly overhead. Sun's directly overhead, but basically, why is it different than the black line, which is midnight? The answer is is that midnight, the algae's not making as much chlorophyll because it doesn't have any sunlight. 
Okay. And then by six o'clock in the morning, you got the lowest DO when you've got the longest period of dark. It's not rocket science. So oxygen content is directly affected by how much oxygen is giving off, given off by the algae in the water. There's your answer right there. So that's why noon, mm-hmm. when the uh, sun is directly overhead, you know, you got to have water and sunlight for stuff to grow, right? So right. it's releasing oxygen. Your black line's midnight. Obviously, there's no sun at all, mm-hmm. right? And then from uh, 6 a.m. on, I guess, you really don't have much down to 6 a.m., but then it starts yeah. turning around going back up. Remember, right. it's, it, it, it's metabolism. It's like your body. If you run from here to the street, your heartbeat's going to go up, and it's going to take a minute for it to come back down. Right. This is the same thing that's going on, but I want to explain the blue line. 6 p.m. Well, Bill, if this is all relative to sunlight, why is that blue line crisscrossing all the way across the entire graph? The answer is it's produced enough chlorophyll and algae by the longest photo period of the day, the largest amount of sunlight, that the algae's actually shading it out. So the DO starts going down. The dissolved oxygen goes down because the sunlight can't penetrate as deep in the water. Okay. Because there's more algae being produced. The algae is actually producing shade. Gotcha. So it actually blocks itself out. That's correct. Same way that hydrilla and stuff dies off and breaks off when it when it canopies and mats, it break it it shades its roots and they end up dying. That's correct. That's so exactly that's exactly right. what the blue line's showing here with algae. Right? That's correct. That's okay. exactly right. Okay. Let's flip over to the yellow one. And this is where we're gonna we're gonna where we from here? some dots. Uh, we wanna go to July August twenty second. All right. So all this is on uh uh, NC State's website. Right. Uh, it's nc ncsu.edu slash, slash WQ for water quality. So August of 2020. Yeah, any of the lakes in North Carolina that have got these platforms at NC State, you know, the 22nd. Person. 22nd. Any of the lakes that NC State does this uh, monitoring for are on there. Uh, Falls Lake, uh, Noose, some pretty neat stuff there. So back to milligrams per liter. Yep. Now, I want to show you something. The first thing is, is that we have aeration in this lake. Okay? So we're attempting to keep those layers mixed. Are they? No. But look at the maximum dissolved oxygen concentration. It's at 3.75. All right. Toxicity starts occurring at 2.5. How about that? For bass. So by mixing that lake, we're getting a little more uniform, but the, the, the bad part is, is it's just there's so much stress in the middle, you know, in late August or anything else that you're, there's just only so much dissolved oxygen. Look at the colored lines. They pretty much agree with what we said before, yep. okay, in general. Um, there's a little catching up to do, but what you're really looking for is where the numbers on the left intersect the lines at 2.5. That's your thermocline. So four foot. So what you're saying is, is a thermocline. 2.5 is going to be yeah. about right there, right? So what you're saying is the thermocline. It's one meter. Changes, can change throughout the day. Yes. That's what you're showing here. That's correct. So it'll start off shallower in the morning. That's correct. And, and get higher in the water column as the day goes on. Right. And here, because we've got such high metabolism and such high production, the midnight line is the most consistent and the highest DO. Why do people go fish at night? 
Because there's no pleasure boaters. In the summertime. Why are they catching these giant fish? Because <laughs> it's cool and there's no pleasure boaters. <laughs> that's, you know, that's mechanically a good answer, but here there's a scientific reason why. That's when the DO is the highest during the day, during those extremely stressed periods. There you go. Yeah. Unfortunately, night fishing just sucked this year. So <laughs> <laughs> evidently, evidently, science is wrong for once. Well, they got to be in the lake for you to catch. That, that's true too. That, that's a fair. That is a fair assessment. I, I'll be honest with you. Since the last time I was on here, one of the biggest questions that I've got to ask is, "Where are the fish?" And everybody is talking about it in the fisheries community. But it's there's not a blame. It, that's not it. But because I, of a very radical shift from COVID where everybody is out and they're fishing and everything else, we actually had some people in our Parks and Recreation Department complaining that too many people were bank fishing and they were cleaning the lake out. Um, Dr. Hal Schramm had just put something out recently about fish learning. I read uh, that. That was on Bass's website. Right? You know, well, and, but, and just the fish are beat up. They're avoiding us. Look at it. Okay, take what are the, what are the last three greatest uh, inventions, we'll say, in bass fishing, lure-wise, take your take your last three picks. Me? Yeah, I'm just just for a for a throw I'm, it out I'm there. A, I'm a bad person to ask that, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm one of those people that enjoys force feeding fish. Okay. I want them to eat what I want them to eat. And and all right, Brandon, I'll ask you. Yeah. What are the last three most innovative fishing lures? Well. So for around here, uh, let's see. So the the elephant in the room is obviously the Alabama rig. That's one. Um, the chatterbait made a huge. That's two. Uh, let's see if you can get number three correct. Break on the scene. Um, I'm gonna go with square bill. You're wrong. Drop whopper shot? plopper. Whopper plopper. Uh, I'm just saying, as far as innovative, yeah, not seen yeah. before baits that these fish you saw it. You went to Norman. Yeah. You threw a whopper plopper. I had first a whopper year. plopper for like two years before anybody knew what they and, were. And I ordered mine straight from Larry Dauber. That's right. <laughs> and and for the first two years of the whopper plopper, they would absolutely annihilate. There was no thought. There was no mist. There was no anything. It was, it it was, was pure tea yeah. choke mm-hmm. every time. Guess what? Five six years later now, how many fish you miss on a whopper plopper? How many guys ended up digging hooks out of themselves because oh, well, they missed? I, mean, I think we all have. A rig, prime example. A rig came out. I was uh, Brian Huskins actually made me a few A rigs shortly after um, Paul Elias weighed the big bag that he didn't. We came out here in September and started catching on A rigs. It was. Poor Buster Boy Bridge got absolutely obliterated for two months because that's where everybody thought you had to throw it. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it was it was pure tea ignorance. You could go find a ball of bait like mm. you saw on the screen, fire the bait out behind you, start winding it slow, and it swing through the bait, and you'd get bit every time. Three, four years, it was like that, and then everybody started throwing it. It's not like that anymore. Chatterbait. Ron Davis came up with a chatterbait. Brian Thrift, several others had it first. They won a lot of tournaments around here on it. Then local people had it. Won a lot of tournaments on it. Now, yeah, you can get bit on a chatterbait, but it's not what it was when it first came out. Right. 
and we talked about that before the podcast started about you know how lures will cycle. And so it's it's yeah. like you said with COVID. So we're out here. The spinnerbait's coming back now. Fishing. Well, that's the thing. You're fishing every weekend. I mean, there's a 300 percent inflow of new fishermen into mm-hmm. the fishing community, which is awesome. Those of us that are tournament anglers just got to change up our game a little bit because it's not so easy anymore. Right. Like you said, spinnerbait is making a comeback. Spinnerbait is making a comeback for sure. There's a few other baits that I could see potentially for the next month and a half could be quite interesting Um, that a lot of guys not have forgotten about. They just don't throw. What's... What was it that Aaron Martins won the classic down here on? Underspin? Yeah, he didn't win that one. That was Casey Hero did. Which one? Aaron Martins threw an underspin on off, the bridge. On the bridge yeah, and top never left one it. up in the river on a B2. But yes, Aaron Martins sat under the bridge for an entire tournament and caught yeah. fish on underspin. Right. right. Danny, if we knew what the next big lure was, we'd be throwing it or have made it. Uh, uh, Danny, on that one. Danny, from the tackle side of things, I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, between ICAST the last couple of years, I, I feel like right now we're in kind of a copycat lull in the industry. There's there's not necessarily going to be that new innovation. That's what everybody says until it comes out. For, for, well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying for right now, everything's kind of status quo. There's not been anything drastically different enough for me as a store owner to say, huh, that's got potential to be something great. I'm going to behave. I say what you guys say. I mean, I don't behave. We're, we're, yeah, well, you know, like I said, I, I'm... Except I'm for you and your 24-inch Cinco's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I'm a firm believer that stuff cycles back around because... I don't, I don't want to mention his name, but one of the elite pros showed me how to tune a buzzbait. And I can't begin, I mean, the biggest bag of fish I ever caught, I caught on it after he showed me how to do it. I can't tell you how much money I've won on it. Guys that I have shared the tricks with it, they win money on it. And uh, that's cut the camera. Everybody, <laughs> that's, what, that's with everybody else. Um, you know, out there throwing buzzbaits and whopper ploppers and everything. It's like... What in the world is the difference between a whopper plopper and a buzzbait? But they're killing a whopper plopper, and all of a sudden they're not biting a buzzbait again. Yeah. Well, it's, okay, take a, take a DD-22. Mike Searight, Gene Webster, Ted Mobley, and several other guys, I mean, they were loading crankbaits before people really knew what crankbaits were. Mm-hmm. Now you've got tweaks, so to speak, you can make to crankbaits to make them do bigger and better things mm-hmm. depth wise and I was going to say that was at a time when crankbaits if you got one that would go 16 feet deep out of the package it was a big deal again now you've got them you can cast them and they'll hit 30 the problem is what is the profile difference yeah that's where the big play comes into factor is, is do you remember when the man's 30 plus came out I, well okay that was probably a wee bit before my time in the bass industry I'm but, just saying <laughs> no it's I've thrown them I, I, have, I remember. <laughs> I have. I have personally thrown that plug, and I'm going to tell you what. Everybody and their brother want them. You can't find it, them anywhere. It takes a five bucks. <laughs> it takes a bigger man than me to throw and wind it all day. I'll just say that now. I've, I've, I like to crank. I love to throw a crankbait, but that plug will work you to death. They don't make my favorite one anymore. Which one? My hot lips. Uh, well, you know a guy that's got several. Yeah. 
I don't know. There's a lot of tweaks. Well, never mind. Well, I mean, I'll yeah, tell you. we've all boiled the lips and flattened them out and done different things to them. That Stick lead weights in the nose and yep. epoxy over them. I mean, I remember that whole deal with the bags leaves back in the back in the eighties. I mean, yeah. that was the deal. Drill them out, let them, or oh, yeah. load them up. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are. Like I said, it, every bait there's some way to modify it to make it better. Chatter baits. There's guys that cut the skirts a specific way on a chatterbait. They think it swims better that way. There's well, I do that with my jigs. Again, there's there's all kinds of tweaks that. I'll make, buy a jig. First thing I do is pull the skirt apart, put it in my skirt maker, and do it the way I want it. There you go. So yeah, I mean I I, I can't think of more than a half a dozen lures that I'll fish out of the package. Period. I think we're all the same way on that. There's a saying that. Uh, that I always, when someone asks me if they if I think this matters, I always tell them if you think it matters, it matters. <laughs> well, but again, because of your whole how much of it comes out to it. be right here. Well, well that's the it, thing. All, all of what's between your ears matters the most. That's exactly yeah. right. That's what I was saying. If you think it matters, it matters. I mean, it's it's like I've asked you about jerk bait several different times. You throw two or three colors. It doesn't matter. I got a thousand of them, but I throw two or three. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's to, to each his own on that deal. You, you know, you got to do you. Mm-hmm. I I can't tell you how to do you. That's what I said. I mean, that's why I don't mind sharing those slides about some of the stuff and telling people that because they're still going to have to figure it out. Sure. You know, uh, I've I've got some young men I've worked with over the years that are really, you know, that came up through the BASS youth ranks with Bob and some of those guys, uh, Rod Goodall. Um, and and they've got their their strengths, you know, but they they all have got that focus, you know, and it's they go out there, they do it their way, and they're fine. They, and even one of the guys I enjoy fishing with as much as anybody I've ever had in a boat with me tells me, he says I can't tournament fish with you, <laughs> and he's right. Uh, he's doing great, you know, in partner tournaments up in our area fishing with somebody else because his strengths are not my strengths. Well, I think you, when you're fishing as a team, you've got to have somebody that complements your strengths. Right. Okay. You know, you might be great at flipping bushes, but if they get on a topwater bite, yeah, you can catch fish on topwater, but maybe your partner needs to just take the take over the head of the boat that day because he can do oh yeah 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 twice as many yeah. things when it, it comes to that. Like, like with he and I, I'll go out and I'll bang offshore structure with, you know, that 12-inch word worm from uh, Caraway Creek. And he looks at me like I'm rushing or something. He'd rather be throwing a DD-22, you know. So, and he'll catch his fish and I'll catch mine, you know. But it, it's, it's a very different animal there. But those are two different power type situations. And, but they're complementary. Yeah. If you want to be offshore, you got somebody behind you that's doing something else effective right you know if 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 i go offshore and i got brandon who prefers to throw a jig in the top water or whatever can he catch fish offshore yes i've seen it but does is he second guessing that all day yeah yeah he is exactly right (laughs) he is 
Yeah, while we're out there, I'm looking at the bank, going, "Yeah, I've got them over there." <laughs> exactly. Your focus is uh, off target. How long have we been out here? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. My my nemesis is docks. I, I I don't know what it is. There's just like a brain fog or something. I can't catch a fish off a dock. I can probably count them on one hand in 36 years of tournament fishing. You know, I just can't do it. They get on them. Do what? They get on them. Oh, I know. But I can't figure it out. Well, the thing is, is well, I I don't know if this is true because I'm no expert at it. But I know this: if you catch one fish off of a dock in a certain place, most of the time you go to another dock similar, the fish is going to be sitting in the same place. Oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you know where the sun's on the pole this way and the wind's blowing. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it's just it's like some kind of brain fog when I can go a different place and. I can load the boat. I don't want to pick You like to dogs. sit down and catch 10 or 15 and be done with it, oh, yeah. then pick one, pick one, pick right. one. Right, right. I just like setting the hook on them. That's the same. I don't uh, care how I catch them. I just, I wish I could figure out docks a little better. I will say a good jig bite is very, I mean, when you slide it in there and the line just thunk and you cross yeah. their eyes, it's fun. Oh, yeah, no, 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 I know. It doesn't always work that way, but it's fun. Oh, I love throwing a jig, especially offshore. I, I had the opportunity through Mr. Eric Winter at Bass Pro Shops um, after a kind of strange trip out on Randleman Lake when it first opened where you could throw a beer can in the water and catch a fish. Um, he hooked it up where I could go out with Kevin Van Dam and... They filmed two episodes on Randleman Lake, and one of them was offshore jigs. And that was that's my thing. I just like fishing offshore. Man, I thought you were going to say you got to fish the aquarium up there. Oh no, 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 no! I don't care anything about fishing the aquarium. <laughs> when Randleman first opened, it was about as bad as fishing the aquarium. But man, getting that that jig bite out on open water like that, and we were just catching fish after fish after fish. It was awesome. I love doing that. But sitting and throwing that jig at the dock. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems to be, uh, Jody writes on here, he, he's he got a point. All the A-rigs cause the jig fish to get better in the wintertime and in the fall. And I didn't want to do it, but I did it because they're, it's a very good way to get paid on the Catawba chain. Somebody else giving up secrets. Thank you, Jody. Well, guys, we're coming up on an hour and ten minutes. So, any questions on turnover? You want to know anything about the yeah, we, the few people that are I'm still still trying to learn how uh-oh. to spell stratification? But oh, we, we're status quo. Okay. No, I think this was not great. not quite as high as we were with the controversy over the uh, evil spotted bass. But <laughs> so 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 we talked about sorry Shane thermocline when it happens. So. What makes it go away? Temperature goes down. Falls to the point where it just doesn't exist 65 anymore. 65 to 72. So as soon as it gets under 65, it's just mm-hmm. all organic stuff falls back in the bottom? No, it actually mixes up. Okay. Because your water mixes. Yep. It's the same thing as shaking that salad dressing bottle. You're doing the same thing. Okay. It just is, it's thermal from the temperature versus mechanical. Gotcha. So, is aeration it, will make it. Is it true that there is a? So I read an article one time. Uh, I believe it was actually a South Carolina pro that wrote it. Is it true that there is a spring turnover? 
There's a spring stratification. Stratification, which is Lamas term layering. Yes. Okay. That's when the layers set up. Okay. And you've got a lot of these guys, and I understand exactly what they're saying, but it's like if it's, they're out there and they're fishing at a certain depth, and all of a sudden they look at their depth finder and the fish are seven feet higher in the column. The lake is stratified. The layers have set up. They no longer can be down there. And they're calling that a turnover, which it's not a turn over. It's, it's a layering. It, it's the same difference. It sets up that way, stays that way until the water temperature goes back down. But or, or, until, or, or until you have a, a major change. Like, I, I've seen it out here where... Yeah, flow can do it. Where you get, okay, you'll have two, three, four weeks where there's no flow and everything's status quo, and all of a sudden they get a big rain and they start pulling a bunch of water, and guess what? The entire lake changes Yes, because of that. Exactly I, right. I've seen it... Um, in crazy low front situations too so i'm trying to remember how many years ago this was it was like hurricane matthew or something like that and it came through it was super low pressure we're supposed to get hit with the hurricane and it, and it didn't happen it went up the coast it was when you were having your thursday night fish off thing i remember that year and it literally it turned over instantly instantly uh, well it's similar to what we had out here this past two mm-hmm. you know we had the hurricane hit down in the Gulf. The rain came up through. They sucked the bottom out of the lake. The rain hit. You go out there now, and it's like completely different lake. Right. And the cooler that water is, the slower that thermocline will reset. Because you're getting to the point. I mean, I saw water temperatures at 72 at Tillery this oh, past it's, Saturday. It's so not far away from getting to the point where we're past all that. That's right. Um, and and it, with the cold nights and, and the – I mean, they're, they're – they're gonna keep the Catawba chain from Mountain Island or Wiley South low this winter, a foot below what they normally do for all these projects they've got going. And so now that that's kind of set up, they're pulling the water back out of the lake, and so we're gonna get even cooler water just because of that. Which, yes, you know there is that too because I was asked about you know what's going on with the with the water in terms of how they're using it it a, a really good example in the Yadkin chain is high rock they used to have the steam plant that you could see from 85 yeah well it's now it's a gas plant so how is high rock changing well that water comes down from mount airy and up in the mountains or anything else and the water's colder it don't fish up river like it used to it's muddy but it's muddy cold water in the summertime it's it's not as hot as it used to be it's very different what what happened to high rock a couple of years ago when everybody was complaining do you, do you i mean it obviously has bounced back but i had probably a lot of different things i mean that that lake remember you don't really have a lot of control about what's coming down the river like you do here yeah, in the there's wild, no where dam, water there's coming in water dam, going yeah. out. we got uh w care scott but it's still not big enough to affect high rock that much so the water's only going one way the water either flows or it doesn't flow the way that they have changed the hydroelectric generation is really what is changing all the Atkin lakes the water's either on or off gotcha used to you know constant little bit of flow everywhere yeah you'd hear the horn go off between 10 and noon and they'd run a little bit of flow and they'd start ramping it up on the grid now when it's time to come on it's It's, okay on or off yeah Jody Wright asked, what causes algae to grow 
on a bottom after spawn on Lake James, usually in the old beds. In the old beds? Mm -hmm. I mean, stuff settles out. It's going to settle to the lowest points. If they've dug a dish out, it's going to settle in there. Plus, the fact that you've probably got leftover egg mass and first one thing or another providing, you know, a food source. For the, yeah, yeah. Algae, algae grows on dead, organic, dying material. Yeah. Sewage spill from Lexington plant. I guess that was the... Uh, Frank Duffy put that in there. Yeah, yeah, they had one. one. Yeah, they had one. That's uh, a, and they had one in Thomasville. That's um, an ongoing thing over here. But when you... Uh, there's, <laughs> actually, believe it or not, there's still a handful of houses on Lake Wiley that have the right to pump their septic so, into the lake. I have caught them. I have reported them to the state on multiple lakes across the state, and the state did not act on them. I don't know how to answer that question. No, I mean, again... This lake was at its prime when everybody was dumping their matter into the water. Well, they were dumping their ten, ten, ten in. Yeah, and the uh, <laughs> and all the textile now and the fishing stinks. Okay, and all the textile mills were dumping their copper sulfates and their PCBs in here and everything else. And hey, they were catching eight, nine, ten pounders. Hey man, I just remember. I just remember road his first time I ever fished it. It was as blue as it could get. From some dye that it's, been it's, dumped. Yeah, it's that copper there. sulfate stuff. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's really interesting, obviously, because on the professional side of what I do, and I get trying to clean the waters up and take them back more towards a pristine state like they were before people were leaving footprints all over the land and the water and everything else. But I don't think anybody saw this effect coming. Too obviously, clean. if we clean the water up, it's going to get better. The fishing's everything will be better. No, no, no. It's it's it, really it not. Didn't happen. So. <laughs> I mean, here's the natural bank is okay. Mm -hmm. Laydowns are okay. Mm -hmm. Muddy water is a okay. Problem is when people with more money have the control, they get to cut all that off. So the nutrients go away, the erosion goes away sedimentation backs up and we have what we have now we've got we've got some real challenges coming up in the next year because we've already heard from some of the lake owner associations where we've gone out and we've put habitat in particularly native weeds and things like that the weeds have taken off and they're doing well and all of a sudden the homos are saying yeah we don't like them either i'm i made some inquiries into what kind of legal props we've got to slow them down and well there are some but not many it, I, we're going to get into a situation now where we agreed to control the hydrilla if we could put native plants in and now they want to control native plants after all line somewhere so here's here's my question and, and it may not be the case but i know with lake wiley there are grandfathered property owners that still own land underneath water right now in North Carolina or South Carolina? Both. I'm not aware of anybody in North Carolina. Okay, maybe. I would like to see it. Maybe maybe just in South Carolina. My in-law's neighbor happens to be one of those that is grandfathered in. He has the right to still pump his sewer in the lake if he wants to. But he does not. You won't give an address? No. <laughs> I'm not going to dive into any more than that on that subject. He's in North Carolina. He didn't but, but with that being said, Duke has a high water mark. That you can't touch, disturb, do anything to any land 
pass that high water mark without their approval. Right. So if Duke gets on board with this natural habitat program mm-hmm. and the homeowners decide they don't like it and they damage it, tear it up, take it out, aren't they held responsible based off of ownership? By law, should be. That, I mean, we're, we're my point that I the reason I brought it up is is we we really don't know where it's going to go. We've never had to face this before because the agreement was is we'll let you control the invasives in pretty much an unlimited way, and you're going to let us put natives in. And we've spent a lot of our money, fishermen's money, uh, grants, and things like that doing doing that in lakes all over the state. And all of a sudden, they're coming back saying, yeah, we don't really like that either. And I, sooner or later, I don't care how much they spent for, spent for that house, we're going to have to have a come to Jesus about the fact that it is a shared resource. And I can tell you now that I think that BASS is going to take a very hard line on it. We've talked about it. Well, I mean, look at the, look at the economic impact sure. for these counties, towns, cities all the above having fishermen come in and enjoy the resources that are here okay you've seen in alabama i'm sure you've seen the study that's been done all the numbers from the increase in the we'll just say economic impact from having these big tournaments there towns have been nothing they've been turned into something because they've got destination lake guess Mm -hmm. what everybody wants to go fish at gunnersville Right. Everybody wants to go fish Chickamauga. Sure. Agreed. You know, at what point do, do, does the local government say, you know what, we understand you have money and that you have the ability to own lake property, but here's the line we're taking on this. I will tell you what I have seen happen, and it's local, so we'll leave it there, but there was a time when the visitors' bureaus were very the people that were driving it and they were doing great things and they were they were drawing in money they were drawing in people and everything else and then the politics took over if we can't attack it head on then we'll undermine it beneath that and that's what i've seen happen then i don't want to use the word infiltrate but i can't think of anything better and then they take away their their political pull and their money and then it goes away but what i don't understand is what you just said i don't care whether you like it or not i don't care whether you fish or not uh, it doesn't have anything to do that. When your community is growing and there's money in it and it's circulating, it's better for everybody. Well, okay, look at... You're, you, we're not bringing crime in. I mean, it's not like... You want to see a prime example of exactly what I'm talking about? Take Santee. You've seen the rise and the fall of Santee Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that... At one time, that was a booming town. There were golf courses, there were restaurants, there were hotels, there were places to stay, things to do. Now, if you're not staying in a campground or a cabin, you're not staying down there. Right. And the same thing was true at Bugs Island for a lot of years. But I will tell you what I have heard from the people that are responsible for those visitors bureaus in both places directly. They've told me. I'm not making it up. I didn't read it in a pamphlet somewhere. That just kind of the the overall crime rate is chipping away at that in, in ways that we're not seeing. Bugs Island? 
yeah. worker. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you from. I mean, like South Hill. I mean, you used to go up there and you couldn't get a hotel room on the weekend. Yeah, I can tell you some places. I, I can tell you the places not to stay when you go up there. I, I went up there a couple of years ago to help with the youth tournament. And I, I mean, I've been going to Bugs for years, and but I'm not part of the big tournaments and things like that. And I didn't even think anything about it. I just called up there a place that I'd stayed a bunch of times before. And I pulled my boat up there, and I realized that people were watching me. I was like, what am I doing wrong? And then later on, one of the people that is a uh, is a resident in the place that I stayed, she's she's a nurse supervisor for one of the local health care groups, filled me in. But I was not in a place I needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't sleep well that night. Yeah. <laughs> well, but again, I mean, it's you would think, okay, well, that's another touchy subject given the political climate so I won't dive down that road but but it's still part of the overall picture I, I understand you know, you know you, you've got to get this stuff balanced but what you don't want to do is just throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. I mean look at some of the opens and things we've had down here at Norman where they, they had tremendous draws I mean the first one that I worked was the one Schlyrock won you know that was huge you know and, and they got better and better and better and you still get good draws but I don't understand why what I personally like and don't like from somebody says that we want to do away with an economic opportunity. I, I don't understand. I just don't. Right now they'd rather give more credence to wakeboard boats to damage the lakes than to people bringing money into the communities. I, I get that they feed it year-round and that that's part of the process. But they don't. That's the thing. They don't. Well, I mean, if they live down here. Uh, two weeks, three weeks from now, this lake will be a ghost town on the weekends. I notice it's Mark, a lot emptier. Mark my words. You, you come out here Saturday, Sunday, I, I'm actually getting excited. I can take my kids fishing on the weekend and be able to enjoy it. you got and, a 1v1 challenge coming pretty soon. I know. I know. Jody's on here. No, it's Jason Lance. Oh, that's supposed right. It to be. is Jason. Jason's on here too. Once, so what up, Hammers? He just got home. Once I once I weed him out of the way, I'm gonna try to get Jody out of the way too. Oh, man, you better watch out. Them set games, they'll get you now. Jody, Jody, you know that as a Clemson fan. I know, I know. Looking past somebody else to get to Florida State or something, and <laughs> Wake Forest almost beat you. Uh, I'd be more more worried about Syracuse than anybody else. They seem to have our number. But. I'm a Gamecock fan. I worry about all of them. So. I know. <laughs> You have to. You can. <laughs> you got no hope. Hey, as a Gamecock fan, if they win, I'm happy. If they lose, it's, like, it's uh, status quo. Whatever. <laughs> no, but it's always next year. <laughs> yeah, and our two, our two v two looks like it's gonna go by the wayside. Is Shane, it gonna fall off? Well, Shane's gone, and um, Mike texted me last night. So well, we can do next Wednesday. Well. Next Wednesday, Shane's. I mean, he gets back and he leaves for Santa or uh, Gunnersville, wherever. And so it's either you and me go, or I can't go in the middle of the week. I pull from the hip and drag somebody else into this mess. The problem is, is the person that I would call. I'm not sure would be very fair. Where's that? On Murray? Yeah. You gonna call Chris Marshall? Yeah, we've already talked about it. Huh. <laughs> Chris said, sign him up. He's got he's got plenty of time to take off. Call. You're the yeah, hey man. You're the defender. You're the one that gets to make the rules, right? That's the two v two. That's a whole new thing. Okay. We still got a second half of a four v four that looks like it's gonna fold up too. 
Jason said Shane being gone is not a bad thing. <laughs> For him, it's it's not. That's that's a fact. Well, oh man. Let let the weather continue to trend downward. Hey, I'm ready. I'm gonna tell you. Well, I say that. No, you're ready. I am. The problem is is I'm not sure how much you're gonna be yeah, able to enjoy lot, it. You got a lot going on this winter. Yeah. If uh if COVID regulations let um basketball play indoor this year, I'll my boat's probably going to be sitting for a long time. Sweet. <laughs> Jody, I appreciate that, buddy. Can't David, wait to see what it is. David was saying sweet because I won't be here, so he'll get a chance to win again. Oh. <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> you know what, buddy? What I did to you five years ago, I think. a long time ago. I know, but I still think you're not quite even yet. Oh, I'm definitely even. I'm probably, I would probably wager to say I'm well past even. Financially or numbers wise? Either. <laughs> we might have to pull out winter, the book on that. Winter time, just winter time. We might have to pull the book out on that. would be an interesting stat to look well, at. Well, that's all out there. Lake Wiley Winter Trail. You can go look at every one of them. Yeah. Well, See you guys in the spring. <laughs> I know this. Five years ago, if we could get another winter like that. I, hey, I had a lot of fun that winter. It's it, pretty, but, it, you know but what? But it was very frustrating, frustrating at the same time because. I could bring 19 to 20 pounds to the scale every weekend, and I'd have 21 to 22. Well, <laughs> but they're only paying, don't pay two places that year, right? Two or three two, places. Two or three places. Because it was, it was, you know, there are small tournaments down here because Lake Norman draws the numbers for the. We're working on that this year. I got to get one more approval, and we might have something very, very interesting to so throw I, out there. So when you bring. 20 pounds to the scales and I'd throw them back and go home. Yeah, it was fun catching them, but as a competitor, it's like, well, it just wasn't good enough today. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I, I would like to say I'd understand how those guys feel when they fish St. Clair or Lake Erie or something like that, and they've got 22 pounds worth of smallmouth and they only make the cut, but um, I can't. I think after David gives up the belt and uh oh, that's right. When you if you ever lose the belt, someone's probably going to call me out. Do you know what though? I guess I, I had the first right to since, rematch, don't I? Yeah. Derek, still living on the glory day. <laughs> you know what, Derek? Let me have my moment. I'm sorry you didn't have yours. Oh. Darts don't count either, Derek. Derek and I want to cat together one one of those years. We just jumped in the boat. Uh, Must not have been memorable. I don't remember. You were there. You you suppressed that one. Uh, Probably. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was talking. I was talking to Tim. It's it's frustrating. Okay, there was a day and time when I went out here and caught fish to try to place in a tournament. Once you do this for a certain period of time, your perspective changes, and then you go to fish strictly to win. And when you do that, it definitely changes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're either at the very top or you're at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. There's not usually any in between. Yep. And this weekend was rather mind-boggling to me to have the bites to potentially pull off a win but not have enough bites to catch a limit. Well, I can tell you the pattern that you needed to be on. So I came out here Saturday with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. We got out here about 
11 o'clock. Shortly maybe? after you called me. 11.30. Yeah. See if they were biting. And uh, he likes fish offshore. Um, we went to college together. I hadn't seen him. In, uh, we, we hadn't fished together in probably six or seven years. Um, but we went out and uh, caught a couple fishing, you know, just fishing windblown stuff. And then uh, we started looking at some deep holes, deeper holes, I'll call them. They weren't real deep, but they were off the bank. And uh, I finally found one where the fish were set up that I thought um, I could catch them on. And I knew they were bass when they were sitting on the, the drop. They were lined up head to tail. I mean, they were glued to the bottom, looking right in the wind. I mean, textbook. It's time. It's going to happen. First cast. So, a couple casts, no bites. I don't know what's going on. Man, I know those are bass. I haven't went and looked at them again. Dropped the live scope on them. You could see them. I mean, they, but they were not moving. You could, I, could, I was throwing a big crankbait. And I literally pulled my crankbait through the middle of them, and they would not move. I wouldn't chase it, nothing. So, uh, eventually, I caught something, and it was the biggest flathead catfish I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and he was sitting on the back side of the stump that they get on on that spot mm -hmm. I've decorated a, a lot of them down there with big crankbaits I've got some hot lips and some DD-22s down there um, and it hit it right when it came off the stump it hit it the exact same way that a bass would hit it but I mean it I mean it throttled it and uh, so it took me about 10 minutes to land that catfish because it got on a big cranking rod right, you know, 12 pound test and uh, I knew it was a catfish as soon as I got it as soon as I set the hook on it. And um, as soon as I did that, and I was fighting that catfish, um, live scope, I was on spot lock. Live scope was, you know, just scanning back and forth. All those fish that run that drop, they moved right up on that flat <laughs> and start biting. <laughs> wow. Just needed something to trigger. Well, either that or they were worried about getting eaten. I'm serious. That, there's a picture I put up on Facebook. That well, catfish. Tell, tell the truth about the it size was literally of the fish that started big. eating. I mean, it, that catfish was that wide. <laughs> like I'm, I'm holding it, and and they, I mean, they were not big. I mean, the bass we were catching were keeper size fish, 14 inches. So obviously, it could have been a snack for a 40 to 50 pound flathead, no problem. Um, oh yeah. But it was almost like that guy was up there and he had the spot and all those bass were out there like, nah, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you go first. You go first. Nah, you go first. You, you be the first. No. But while I was fighting that catfish, my buddy was catching him on a dang spinnerbait. I mean, it was like, you know, here, trade me. Will you reel this thing? So I can <laughs> you know what's funny, though, is as you mentioned that, I fished a rocky bank down the lake, way down the lake, throwing top water. And I got to the end of it, and I turned and sat down in the seat, started idling off. And right as I was coming down, it's a pretty steep bank, but there's a flat spot. And I've caught, I catch them there in the wintertime a lot. And there's a certain lineup for the cast, so you hit the flat spot right. But I was coming over it, there's a water fish on it. Set up perfect. It went by? To throw a crankbait. I could not make them you bite. You to catch the catfish first. He was down there. Evidently. I tried, I mean, I tried. Had Tim throw a old ball and chain in there. They'll bite that anytime, anywhere, usually. I could not fire those fish to save my life. And there was pretty good fish in the group, it looked like. But 
Well, this place has turned into one heck of a catfishery. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the things wildlife complains about is the guys moving around channel cats and things like that. Right? So I learned something about South Carolina, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago from one of my striker buddies. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that the flathead catfish is actually an invasive catfish. Is that true? Yes. So here's, here's so the channel. The channel is too. And blue. And blue. Yeah, they don't they don't occur everywhere the same. No. How about that? No, I just thought the problem. I mean, I just you know, thought like catfish are just it. like bluegill or brim. They just are there. <laughs> no, no, and it's and it's interesting that you bring it up. There are still formularies and fisheries for if you've got a pond, what you put in there. Definitely what you don't put in there. Ten right. catfish, four hundred bass, three hundred bluegill. Well, you're going to end up with very big catfish. It's about what it boils down to. The, the biggest issue that I remember as a kid was that the catfish were garbage feeders, and they're not. They're feeding on the same food as the bass. Yep. Um, so well, it's, you know, it's, but again, that's situation. poor training. Because we all we all thought the same. I mean, I heard the same. Oh, those are trash fish. You don't want to eat them. They eat poop off the bottom of the lake. <laughs> right. That's not I the case. I can <laughs> tell you, the, one of the my buddy Christian and I talk about this all the time. Um, we used to fish. He lives in Florida now, but uh, we had. So I'm a little bit older than him, but we had the same biology teacher in high school. We went to the same high school. He was just five or six years behind me, and she told us that catfish ate algae, and I'm thinking. A bunch of catfish on crankbaits and spinnerbaits and heck I've even caught one on a buzzbait and I'm thinking but they definitely do not eat algae they're a predator listen I, and I've had them in I've had albino channel cats in my fish tank you feed them goldfish and that's what they eat oh yeah you know and, what's uh, you just bring up catfish on a buzzbait well so here was the running joke so every time it would happen when Christian and I were in the boat and you'd catch one like a chatterbait at night or something he'd be like oh man you must have you must have had some algae on your hook. <laughs> <laughs> no, that brings me back to my first year night fishing. Mike Allman and I fished some of the Thursday nighters together. And Thomas Richmond, of all people, God bless his soul, he was trying to help us out. We were young and dumb and had no idea what we were doing. So he told us, he said, go take a buzzbait and get on the rocks and parallel the rocks. Okay, so I did this a lot. And I remember first fish, I called Thompson. Man, I finally caught one on a buzzbait parallel on the rocks. I think I get it now. Okay, cool, awesome, good work. So Mike and I entered a night tournament. We're all bowed out. We're thinking we're getting ready to have fun and beat everybody. No, not how that worked out. So we start throwing, we catch a couple bass, and we go into this little pocket, and a little deep bank that runs, and Mike throws up ahead of me. He's... Uh, God awfulest commotion. He leans it. Get the net. It's eight pounder. Eight pounder. We didn't. We didn't have a clue. Whatever. So I get the net. I dip down. This fish has jumped three times. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's acting it's like a big bass. Get the thing in the net. It's about a ten pound catfish. I'm like, really? <laughs> really, dude? I can tell you what they really like in the wintertime is the most expensive jerk bait you have in your box. Uh huh. Oh. And they will tie up an Alabama rig in a hurry. Oh, I've, I've ruined plenty of nine rigs <laughs> folding up in a blue cow. You go ahead, get out there in the bait, and you'll be throwing, catching bass. You're thinking, oh, good. And all of a sudden, you'll throw out there. Dunk. And it's, it's it's a different bite. You know what it is when it happens because that line will get about seven foot of slack in it. And when you catch up to it and lean into it, 
he's going the other way, full steam. <laughs> There's no, I mean, it's just you better hang on. I've got on everything. I remember the the very first one I that really broke my heart was actually on High Rock, on a jig. I'd slid underneath the dock and I set the hook on a flathead, and it was probably I don't know 20, 25 pounds, and it came out from underneath that dock and went underneath the boat. I thought I. It's like, this is the tournament right here. Collide Yeah, this is it. <laughs> and uh, I was with my dad. I'll never forget it. And um, I get it to the boat, and I'm mad, you know, caught mm-hmm. this catfish or whatever. And um, <laughs> he folded up, put in the live well, we took home, and we ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Showed him. There you go. Hey, you know, mudfish will do that Do that to I'll you. I've got those on they, they like top water. I've caught the biggest mudfish I've ever seen on flipping, High Rock. Flipping bushes up at High Rock. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Santee. We, we fished CBC, my dad and I, and a buddy of mine gave me a little direction to go. So we run. I get in there, and I'm like, man, all this looks the same. I'm just going to start fishing. I was the first one back. I was, I was good. So I start fishing. Flip tree, get a bite, not, little fish. Flip next tree, get a big bite. Set the hook, snap my flipping stick. Get the fish to the boat, some mudfish. Mm. And then now I'm flipping bowfin. Bowfin, mudfish, whatever. Anyway, so now I'm flipping bushes and I don't have a flipping rod. Next best thing I had was my jig rod, which was not sufficient. <laughs> I lost more fish that day than you could shake a stick at. And it, literally, it was about a 50 yard stretch of trees. I just I'd fish down it, circle back, and they'd reload and flip. Those things are mean, man. They got a mouthful of teeth. I mm. forget the first one I caught. I don't know what the heck it was. All right, well we're boring everybody yeah. with war stories. So all right, hour and forty minutes. We didn't make it two hours. It's y'all show. We go as long as you want. You said to. it was too long last time. No, I didn't say it was too that long. That was the either. feedback we got. Yeah, some of the people. I tell right. you what. Why don't you drag one of your biologist buddies down here sometime? Which one? Surprise us. You want to talk about plants, or do you want to talk to Corey? I mean, you know. I mean, we can talk. We can do a whole series on this stuff. If, if yeah, it's going to be tough to get them down here on a weeknight, just simply because they've got to work. I know. Well, we can, well, them, we uh, can Zoom. Yeah, we can remote them in. I mean, it, just to get another perspective. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can't see any good reason why they turn you down. And, and, you know, and the other thing is, is we can ask questions regarding Lake Norman. Okay, you had, Corey did a meeting, he had this meeting, mm-hmm. they've gotten approval for this, but. Well, it's like any meeting. There's I'm, questions. I'm sure there's follow-up questions that, you know, when you're learning sure. about stuff, when you go home and sleep about it, that's when you start thinking of the real questions. You oh, should yeah, ask, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Probably one of my most notorious professional habits, everybody has named it for me, it's called 2 a.m. epiphanies. Yeah. I mean, the brain is always on. But you know what, let me guess, you send an email, when it hits you? No. Oh, you don't? No. So, see, if I get something... Memory's come, way more painful than that. I just remember it the next morning and act on it. Yeah, no. it see, if, if it hits me, Brandon's got text, random text messages from me. Yeah. Be like, Don't call me back, but what do you think about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it'll yeah, be like yeah. ra- random. Just It's it's right there. i got to get it up. Well, I mean, the main reason I don't is because of the number of electronic exchanges I have over any given day. It's, it's nothing for me to have 100 phone calls a day on top of a couple hundred emails. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it, there's there's so much information coming from so many different sources my way. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like a lawnmower man or something. It's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> so. All right, so we will part with this. So, there is going to be potentially 
a Rusty Hooks winner something on Lake Wiley. Potentially. Potentially. And we're working on guaranteed money is what we're working on, right? Mm, big guaranteed money. Big guaranteed well, money. big to Lake Wiley guaranteed okay. money. So we only got 27, 29 people left on here. But for the wintertime, guys, stay tuned. Um, we could potentially fish for $1,000 each week. Okay. So Dave is working on that. I know some first of the details. First place, price. not not a thousand. Yeah. First place and second, third place being fairly decent as well. Not better than get your money back. Not a thousand dollars to two hundred. Gotcha. Like some other. So, uh, all I will say is I'm the spreadsheet guy behind that. So, um, David's doing the selling for us. Working on it. So, uh, hopefully, we'll have more information about that notice our, our viewers just randomly yeah. jumped up when somebody said something about that yeah so uh, and, and no this is no this is no slant on mike stone and the sunday winter trail this is something different for guys that don't want to fish sunday they want to fish on saturday do something for your store right well it's it's not just for a store it's, it's for fishermen you know what i hope they come in here and support me i, I mean, want to be able to support just them trying to give them Viable fishing options throughout the winter. Trying to give them options. You know, it's it's not it's not a competition. Oh, my trail's better and so on. So no, it's not that. It's fish you know both. What? Fish Th- both. There's guys that want to fish on Saturday. They want to go to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I commend them for that. I got two kids. I need to be doing that. Brandon, you got two. You got kids. You you. Sure. We all make our choices. I'm not gonna criticize anybody for their choices, but it's something a little different. And no, it won't be three fish for anybody that's asking. And no Alabama ring. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> because that would limit the field. Wow. But I will allow pros to fish. For all the few pros that may tune in, you're allowed. You're welcome. Please come. Yeah, everybody's welcome. Anytime I can get a little pro money, it's always a good day. <laughs> all right, it's getting deep in here. Hey, that was a directed question. The person it was the person that will hear that will get the message. I know. Sign us off. All right, Rusty Hooks Live, where our hooks may be rusty, but our points are always sharp. Got one more week to get into the big bass giveaway. Uh, find our post. Make sure and comment. I'll have this up tonight on your uh, YouTube and your favorite podcast player. And uh, Fraser, thanks for coming. Thank you guys for asking me again. I hope everybody got as much out of it as they did last time. It's William Fraser on Facebook, the guy in the clown suit in the main picture. Uh, you got questions? I've got an awful lot of people that have come to me since the last one, but I'm, I'm willing to talk to you. I'm not somebody that's unapproachable. Um, I want people to learn. I want them to build their toolbox and be better fishermen. Absolutely. That's what we're trying to do here, for sure. And Jason Land, yes, cons are allowed. <laughs> Pros and cons. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next week.